This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I, I hope that it's actually sooner than later because I have no idea what's going to happen in the next few years in terms of uh, how much change in global temperatures that will actually happen between now to 2050. Hopefully, it's actually a calculated decision in terms of actually giving that year of 2050 to actually achieve net net zero. Uh, because if it's not, then we're actually, I'm sorry to swear, but we're pretty much in deep sh- Sivan Agapan Visveswaran was given the Queen's Young Leaders Award for developing a linear water storage system. He also co-founded Project Paplet, which recycles paper to make into booklets for refugee schools. And he currently works at TNB as an energy management systems engineer for Grid System Operator or GSO. Siva is here to talk about the future of Generation Z or the future of his generation. Every gen has a legacy, right? Baby boomers did their thing, Gen Xers had their say, we millennials chip in wherever we can, and Gen Z, well, Gen Z really wants to solve our planet's eco-crisis. The question is, can they do it by 2031? My name is Arvind Yuvaraj and this is Futurescapes, an audio time capsule that's not just a prediction of the world in 2031, but a record of the times that we are in now, with technologies, concepts, and even people who are at the brink of creating something that could change everything. I mean, I'm, I'm generally an optimistic person. So like uh, looking at the current trajectory of most businesses going for a much more sustainable practice is actually pretty good. But at the same time, I feel like uh, when it comes to businesses uh, actually uh, like implementing all the sustainable practices, they actually should look at the whole supply chain and, and how they are actually implementing the, the sustainable practices in the first place. So like uh, I'm a true believer when it comes to the triple bottom line. So that there's people, planet and Many people actually call it profit, but I tend to call it prosperity. So all of this has to be in balance to actually be truly sustainable. I, I come from the power industry. So if you're actually like implementing solar panels and, and, and whatnot, uh, many people don't really talk about how what will happen once you lose the capacity of solar because solar only lasts for like a certain number of years. So once you once this these solar panels actually die off, how are you going to recycle them? Nobody actually asks these questions uh, specifically. And sometimes engineers themselves don't really know how to answer these questions. Like uh, when it comes to actually implementing sustainable practices, is it truly sustainable? If it is truly sustainable, then yeah, why not just practice it? But if it's not so sustainable, what can be done to actually make it sustainable? So these are the questions that I feel should be answered by businesses when it comes to actually creating sustainable practices. And of course, like I mentioned triple bottom line. So we must make sure that, you know, the people the people in the company are actually satisfied with the sustainable practices and uh, whether the sustainable practices actually carry some pos- some positivity towards the environmental practice, that's also another thing. And of course, they should actually create some form of prosperity towards everybody else as well. So like, yeah, these are the two things I'm a, I'm a bit worried about currently. Like throughout the whole supply chain, is it sustainable? Is the people okay? Is the planet okay? And is prosperity really okay in the company itself? So where do you see sustainability as a whole in 10 years, in 2031? I mean, as companies actually implement all the sustainable uh, projects and everything, they're, they're, I mean, they're just starting up actually implementing these sustainable uh, sustainable projects. Hopefully they're able to see what is, what is the end goal. You know? Like, uh, are they actually really doing good in terms of environmental affairs? And... Uh, 
and if they are, then hopefully it's it's actually a good thing. And hopefully in in the year twenty thirty, we're actually able to see like significant changes in technology. Like hopefully we're able to uh, recycle much more cleaner. And you know, looking at the prospects of Malaysia when it comes to renewable energy, we we want to actually reach twenty percent renewable energy. So when it comes to recycle the recycling process itself, hopefully we are able to actually use much more renewable energy resources to actually like like recycle our our products. But at the same time, I feel like companies in twenty thirty companies would also like talk about okay, how can we actually uh empower people to reduce and reuse and not just recycle? Because um being an electrical power engineering student uh back back in my university days, uh, we tend to know what are the breakdowns when it comes to power. So most most of our power, especially in Malaysia, like around ninety three percent to ninety six percent, actually comes from fossil fuels. So recycling being a really energy intensive uh, process. At the end of the day, like even if you recycle, right, you think that you're doing something good for the environment, but but you know, being with the process itself being like really uh, energy intensive. And most of our energy comes from fossil fuels. So you see the form here already, you know. Like, in a way, every time you recycle, you're actually creating some form of carbon footprint out there as well. So um, that's why, I mean, back in 2018, me and my friends, we actually came up with uh, Project Paperlet where we want to encourage people to actually reuse and reduce than just to recycle. But nobody really talks about reducing and reusing. And I hopefully people can actually see that uh, you know, recycling sometimes isn't the last option and hopefully people can actually reduce and reuse as well. Mm-hmm. And do you see a future where this becomes compliance, this criteria, you know, like let's say a company uh, uh, like a tech giant doesn't comply, uh, they are penalized. The same way that they're penalized now if there's like a, a, a privacy breach or data breach or a breach in, in um, uh, the policy, right? So do you see this becoming a compliance in the future? Well, I really do hope so. And especially, you know, due to the COVID-19, I mean, I, I kind of relate closely to the COVID-19 situation. Like, due to a pandemic, are we able to change so much of the ways that we actually uh, do things? So hopefully, like, uh, there are laws in terms of actually conforming towards businesses and maybe individuals as well. I mean, we, we talked about actually, like, totally removing single-use plastic. I mean, like, for good. But today, if you walk into a mama and then you, you actually order... Uh, I don't know, Milo ice or anything with ice, la, a drink with ice. La. Mm-hmm. You, the, the default will actually come with a straw in your cup already. So yeah, you can just walk into any store right now and you still get a straw in your cup. So I guess in terms of actually creating laws and policies, it's good. And in, in that sense, Malaysia is good at it. But what's the implementation like though? You can come up with anything, but then if the implementation is terrible, then people are not going to follow or people are not going to recycle or people are not going to reduce and reuse as well. So hopefully, like, even if there's policies and whatnot, I feel like implementation should be really good in terms of the government side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, based on your experience in working with this movement, um, what are the things that would have to happen for us to reach that level of sustainability in 2031, like a satisfactory level of sustainability, you know? Because there has to be a sequence of events that happens first, right? Well, especially when it comes to 2031, um, I believe, like, most of our generation, I mean, especially in my generation, they will actually be in a in a place where they're in the middle of their age and everything. So um, in terms of compliance for these types of environmental policies, I feel I'm actually pretty optimistic that we may be actually uh, really good in terms of complying, but then the facilities have to be there as well. So uh, like, for example, a person can actually be, he, he or she knows how to actually separate their waste and uh, they may know how to recycle and whatnot. 
but if the the recycling facility is not there, then there's going to be an issue as well. So I think first things first, we should actually have the facility. Like for example, uh, in a housing area, maybe actually have like bins where you can actually recycle, where they can, where people can actually drop their waste uh, easily uh, without any uh, without any issues arising, you know. And then eventually, uh, education also plays a part as well. So like part of my projects actually involve education as well. So that that's a question that we should also address as well. Like in terms of education, we need to educate the people in terms of uh, environmental affairs and what they should actually do to to preserve their environment. So I I mean in my perspective and especially in my projects, I see these two things actually has to come to play so that we actually become much more sustainable in 2031. Mm-mm. Obviously, on the flip side, I have to ask, um, there is a chance that we really screw things up and we end up worst off in 2031, right? So what are some of the major setbacks that you see happening that could sort of like cause this downfall? As soon as your maximum demand actually keep on rises, like right now in, in Malaysia, we're seeing a maximum demand of 18,000 megawatts, but 18,000 megawatts is the peak, okay? So like hopefully, I mean, in the future, we'll see like 25, 26, 27 megawatts uh, because, you know, as GDP rises, the, our energy consumption actually rises at the same time. There's a correlation to that. And a lot more conventional generators that's not so energy efficient, uh, I mean, not so efficient when it comes to actually uh, generating electricity would also be switched on as well. So you'll see a lot of carbon output. There will be significant amount of over-harvesting uh, so that we can actually satisfy our our greed in terms of actually obtaining certain products. And uh, we would see a lot of, I mean, air pollution and water pollution. Businesses will actually be affected as well because like maybe certain functions that were actually uh, put in place will not be there anymore. Like if you if you run out of certain resources, uh, you, you will not be able to do business anymore. You will shut down. Um, again, you'll be, you need the space to actually build power plants and you need the space to actually build a large-scale solar as well. So you'll be losing most of your habitat. You'll be cutting down more trees. I mean, you'll be, you'll be seeing all these changes that may happen uh, if, we, if we do not uh, change the way we do things right now. And that can definitely happen in 10 years, right? There's more than enough time. If we don't do anything, I, I, in, in my opinion, I, f- I feel like it's a very, very real thing because we're already, we're already starting to see this happen in many, many other countries and especially in, in Malaysia as well. We're able to see the sudden, sudden changes in temperatures and, and flooding and uh, our waters becoming much more warmer than it is. And I also did projects in, in, uh, in Pulau Kapas in terms of coral propagation and stuff like that. In water temperatures causing our coral reefs our really beautiful coral reefs in, in eastern uh, Malaysia, uh, our waters are losing its charm because we won't, we're not able to see these coral reefs anymore. We're really able to see all these changes actually happening today. Uh, if we don't do anything today, it's definitely going to get worse in the next 10 years. I believe in the IPCC report it actually totally said that uh, if we are able to see significant rises in temperature, there will be certain uh, issues in terms of uh, health, in terms of uh, us reproducing as a society as well, because uh, you, you will see significant changes uh, in terms of uh, our bodily functions due to the rise in temperatures. At the same time, it's not just bodily health, but it's also like you, you start to see a lot of natural disasters as well. Back in America, I actually uh, worked under the American Red Cross and you start to see these changes 
uh, in in uh, weather patterns like uh, just two years. Actually, last year it happened as well. We were able to see a polar vortex that actually happened. So usually during the winter, we able to see temperatures between negative one to negative ten uh, during the winter in the Midwest uh, where I was actually studying. But during polar vortex, we able to see a dip in temperature up down to like negative forty degrees Celsius. So it's not just about health, but resources won't be there anymore. And if resources aren't there anymore, our health will actually go down significantly if you see these changes in temperatures and changes in sudden changes in weather patterns as well. I want to know if you believe in the impact of different generations on the world because I'm a millennial um, and most of us are in our 30s so it's it's hard to say uh, what our contributions or major contributions will be right we have to wait like maybe a decade more so maybe emphasis on work-life balance uh, pushing for mental health awareness stuff like that but do you think that sustainability will be achieved by generation Z because I feel like it's a very important thing like it's a very crucial thing uh, when it comes to your generation specifically? Yeah, because we are, since we are pretty smack in the middle and we were, I mean, the internet was booming at that time. So like, we were able to know what other countries were going through easily, you know, through the internet and everything. And we are able to see how environmental degradation actually like really impacts us in a way. Like, yeah, we are, we are very much aware in terms of what the world is going through by actually having this access to media and getting to know all these issues in terms of environmental affairs, um, we're starting to see a change. But yeah, I mean, the, the millennial generation or the generation before us should be, hopefully they're able to help us out as well. Because like, sadly, most most people in politics and most people who are people in power uh, in Malaysia tend to be people who are from the previous generation. So even if we are able to do projects, Hopefully, we're able to get the support from them as well. Like, for example, grants or facilities to actually help us out in terms of doing projects and actually talking to people about environmental sustainability. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic in terms of Gen Z actually reaching there and uh, championing environmental sustainability in the future. So what will a company run by Gen Z look like or Gen Z CEO look like? Like for millennial bosses, like I mentioned, you know, it's casual attire, open office, flat hierarchy. In 2031, what will our Gen Z leaders look like? Like what will that industry look like? Basically, if, if you were a boss, what will your company look like? Um, I, I do see like people in Gen Z that they can be a bit more relaxed but hopefully we are able to stay in the goal, you know, like uh, what, maybe one of the pillars in the company is actually environmental sustainability and sustainability in general. And we are able to actually truly apply the triple bottom line. And it's not like some sort of accountancy tool that, say, that says that, okay, we have achieved triple bottom line, but we are able to see the nuances and, and evaluate every single detail so that we can actually achieve sustainability. And what can they do to actually, what, what are the things that has to be done so that the next generation can that can actually champion whatever that they're championing right now. Of course, you know, like we mentioned before, uh, sustainability goes beyond just like recycling and solar panels. There's uh, a lot of awareness being put on the way that we treat animals and the way we harvest them for food, right? So what do you think the meat industry will look like in 2031? Uh, because when it comes to sustainable practice, the meat industry is a major culprit. Not all, not all, but... 
they are a major burden on the environment. There's no secret there. So what do you think that'll be like 2031? Uh, when it comes to the meat industry, I'm actually personally a vegetarian as well. So like, I don't really actually consume any meat. Initially, it was due to religion, but soon soon after, like, I tend to realize that it's also my, my reason of being a vegetarian is also due to environmental issues as well. And uh, maybe in 2030, like, we're starting to see uh, the this fake meat uh, in, in our delicacies, especially if you go to a Chinese, a vegetarian Chinese restaurant, you, you see quite often. So to actually transition to a lab-grown meat uh, in Malaysia, it could, it could actually totally be possible, I feel, personally. And, um, and it's actually a billion-dollar industry. Like um, I mentioned that I, I actually just finished my education in America, and I, I get to see in most supermarkets, they're actually offering this, and hopefully in Malaysia, we'll be able to see it as well. Actually, eating lab-grown meat is actually much more environmentally sustainable compared to actually like uh, butchering an animal. Uh, it's mainly because, like I, I think you may know, uh, rearing cattle is actually much more... Uh, I mean, it produces uh, a lot of methane gas, and it tends to pollute the environment as well. You would rather not eat real beef. You would rather eat uh, fake beef, which is much more environmentally friendly, and hopefully it's a thing in the future. And you know, Gen Z is being quite open to things and ho- hopefully they are actually much more open to actually eating uh, fake meat as well. And actually, it's not just meat. Uh, we should also talk about fish as well. Like, um, uh, there's a recent documentary in, in Netflix called Sea Spiracy. Um, being, being a person who champions environmental sustainability, I honestly didn't know that the fishing industry actually causes a lot of uh, pollution in terms of our water bodies like seas and lakes and whatnot. So, yeah, hopefully in the future, we'll be able to see a variety of like animal products that are actually lab-grown and hopefully people are actually much more open to eating it. So, you mentioned that, you know, you specialize with like energy and, and energy consumption. What is your take on crypto or cryptocurrency? Because mining puts a lot of uh, uh, burden on the environment. Yeah, because like, you know, cryptocurrencies are actually like really high energy intensive uh, processes to actually mine crypto in the first place. So, like, uh, with countries actually moving towards, like, solar panels and, and hydro and wind, uh, it, I mean, hydro is not really intermittent, but you see these intermittencies actually happening in, in solar and wind. But the problem with hydro is that you cannot release water so quickly because, like, you tend to flood certain areas. So, it's not really an ideal situation for you to just release water really nearly just to generate power. So, solar and wind being uh, intermittent intermittent sources of power, it tends to not really like satisfy our total maximum demand. So we tend to rely on conventional generators to actually satisfy those maximum demands. But when cryptocurrencies come into play and with loads actually increasing drastically due to, due to cryptocurrency mining, uh, it tends to really burden our efforts towards uh, sustainable energy usage. The amount of renewable energy that is being generated is not enough to actually satisfy the amount of demand that's out there. There should be a cap when it comes to like these types of mining. So we're looking at strategies like demand response, like for example, cryptocurrency mining can still be done in certain countries, but they should also comply with like these types of demand response uh, situations where the amount of RE is not enough. They should actually switch off as soon as possible. But of course, that, that is like in the long run, uh, demand response, especially in Malaysia, is not really like a thing yet. My my take on cryptocurrency is a bit like 50-50. It, it depends on whatever strategy that's being in play when it comes to grid control and how they're able to do things and uh, whether governments are actually still compliant when it comes to cryptocurrency mining. Do you think something like that is going to 
like carry forward with all tech companies though because you know we sometimes forget that um just because our consumption is digital doesn't mean it it doesn't burden the environment like apparently um i i read somewhere that uh, streaming music has a higher impact than buying cds because of the resources it needs to do that so how are we supposed to get to net zero when the internet is getting faster and tech giants are able to send out so much more content than before yeah because like most of uh, digital facilities actually need like data centers and everything. And data centers tend to be like, you know, they, they tend, tend to suck up so much of energy that um, it, it becomes an issue. And of course, data centers don't have the option of switching off totally, you know. You, you actually brought up a good point. You cannot like switch off data centers totally because many people actually lose their services. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really sticky situation because it's not a new thing. Um, especially, I, I believe uh, companies like DeepMind, which is a subset of Google, they, they actually come up with their own AI uh, software so that they can actually implement uh, in their data centers so that they can regulate certain things to reach as much an environmental sustainability as possible when it comes to running a data center. So uh, this, this was one of the projects that I was actually exposed to when I actually visited uh, DeepMind. So like there are options in terms of how you run things. So these are the options that companies, I, I believe, I, in my opinion, a company should look at when it comes to uh, implementing environmental sustainability in these types of functions. Mm -hmm. So speaking of net zero, uh, a lot of tech companies have pledged to achieve net zero by 2050, which is which is a really long time from now, if you think about it, because we are on, we are only talking about 2031 and this show is called Futurescape. So what are your thoughts on, on that? You know, you think that it's something that's going to happen? Are you hopeful, not hopeful? You said you're optimistic, but do you think we can actually get there? I, I hope that it's actually sooner than later because I have no idea what's going to happen in the next few years in terms of uh, how much change in global temperatures that will actually happen between now to 2050. Um, if, let's say, we're able to see certain significant amount of temperature changes uh, between now to 2050, then hopefully it's not, ho hopefully it's not too late for us to actually implement these changes early on. We should not be so laxed in terms of thinking that, okay, we still have time. We, we can actually do this. Uh, technology has to improve. For example, we talked about recycling uh, being a high energy intensive process. Uh, hopefully these types of functions can actually be much more environmentally sustainable in the future. So maybe that's why they actually put the year 2050. I'm actually a bit worried in terms of what will happen now till that year. Like, are, is, it, is it too late for us? Uh, but hopefully we're able to not see significant environmental degradation through that year. Okay. So final thoughts. What is your ideal 2031 in terms of a sustainable, ethical future? Um, and what can people do? You know, like simple actions on a daily basis uh, to get to your version of 2031. Um, I, I, I honestly feel like people today um, actually has to really talk, talk about it, talk about uh, environmental sustainability more. Because as, as people talk, talk about it more, people will actually get to know more about uh, what are the things that they're doing wrong or what are the things that they're doing right? And as people talk about it more, hopefully uh, the gov governments are actually able to see that, okay, this is a thing that we actually has to have to address because the people are actually asking for it. So I, I really truly believe in the bottom-up bottom, bottom up approach. Um, people, pe I feel people in general, uh, if they actually believe in a certain ideology, uh, things can actually change a lot in the top as well. So hopefully people can actually talk more about these things and governments are able to actually provide facilities to actually um, bring upon environmental sustainability to, to certain communities as well. Uh, this, this is my hope in the future. Uh, so like people can actually talk about it more. And hopefully we can actually see a lot more changes in environmental sustainability as well. 
new episodes of Futurescapes drop every week, so remember to subscribe or follow the show wherever you're streaming this from. I recommend the BFM 89.9 app. I'm going to leave you now with a clip from 1973, courtesy of ABC's This Day Tonight, in which Dr. Aurelio Pache, co-founder of the Club of Rome, talks about the future that we're living in now. This has been Futurescapes on BFM 89.9. Probably you will uh, uh, have a smaller car, you will use more uh, common transport means, you will work uh, many uh, uh, far less hours, you will have a wider culture, and I think that uh, you will love nature and continue then what uh, I think you are doing now uh, to protect uh, our environment, uh, to avoid this uh, uh, man-made world uh, where uh, the creatures of nature, the uh, animals, the plants, uh, the green spaces, the wildernesses uh, are, are bound to disappear. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.